Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Anya Crittenden, a writer at Gay Star News. I'm Hai Chen Bui, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in D.C. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. So it is the most wonderful time of the year, a.k.a. Yes, Christmas month. Or in, in I mean, Anya's case, the season of Christmas. Season of That yes, began season back in September. Season. Whenever there was pumpkin spice lattes, that's when Anya started like. Fl- I mean, Christmas begins November 1st for me. But <laughs> well, for many of you, I'm sure you started celebrating Christmas on December 1st, or even... <laughs> the 25 days of Christmas on, yes. on uh, ABC Family. Yes, exactly, to <laughs> coincide with the Harry Potter marathons. Which are going away. Yeah. So watch them while you can. R.I.P. Freeform Harry Potter weekends, no longer there. I guess they're going to be on HBO, but that's not... It's not the that, same. It's not the same. Not the same. No, it's not. Anyways, back on topic... It's the most wonderful time of year, so we're inevitably going to be talking about our favorite Christmas movies. But here's the catch. They're not Christmas movies. We're going to be talking about... (laughs) Winter Solstice (laughs) movies. Winter Solstice. (laughs) We're going to be talking about our favorite movies to watch during the holidays, during Christmas, that maybe necessarily don't have Christmas in the title or even in the plot of the movie, but are... Um, something that we always connect with the season. Yeah, this is kind of be like a personal episode because it'll be like what do like almost like traditions of like what do we watch? Mm-hmm. Not like the entire country at large watches. I don't know a random action movie set at Christmas time. Yeah, I want to <clears> have <throat> the caveat that none of us have seen Die Hard, so we are not con- yep. including Die Hard on this list. Yeah, I'm very sorry. <laughs> Whoops. Um, so we're just gonna go around and talk about our favorite. Uh, non-Christmas Christmas movies and why we like to watch them during the holidays. This will be just be movies, I think, not TV shows, because then that will be yeah, very it's a wide, wide expanse. expanse. Yes. Okay. Uh, so, Anya, since this is your month, this is your season, why don't you start us off? So, since this is my favorite time of year, I do admit most of the movies I watch are Christmas movies. You know, I have my traditions of always watching Elf, Love Actually, The Holiday, It's a Wonderful Life. So, you know, I am watching a lot of the cliches and the ones about Christmas around this time of year because it's my favorite. Um, But there are some movies that I do associate with Christmas, even if they're not necessarily Christmas-themed, just because they make me feel warm and fuzzy. That is the caveat. I feel like the reason I don't really, besides not having seen it, I don't associate Die Hard with Christmas is because I still want it to be a magical film. Like, I still want to have, like, the merry and bright spirit of Christmas if I watch it around this time. So, for me, I really love watching Harry Potter at Christmas. Um, specifically the first movie. And there's a little bit of Christmas in there when Ron and Harry stay at Hogwarts for the Christmas holiday. Um, but, I mean, overall, it just makes me feel so warm and magical. Um, that first movie is so perfect. And so I love watching it this time of year when it's like dark and cold outside and I can just like wrap myself up and pretend I'm in Hogwarts. So Harry Potter is a big one for me. Yeah, my favorite part about the Harry Potter series is that it takes place over the whole year. So really you could associate it with any holiday. Right, but there's the Halloween for- parts, there's the Christmas parts. And in the sixth movie, you can do Valentine's Day because they all get horny yeah so (laughs) i agree with you anya it feels like the most christmasy to me uh in terms of just like the holidays you can celebrate i think it's because they also include the 
the Christmas scene. Like, it was, yeah. a, like, a, there was a, I mean, he gets the invisibility cloak. Yeah, but it's the association with, like, childhood and childhood wonder, I think, that And, like, makes, a big castle. Exactly. And the wintry magic. aspect. Sweaters. Yes. Mm-hmm. Jumpers, as they're called in England. Yes. Jumpers. Exactly. Which and, like, is so weird. And why Christmas is such an important aspect of the first one, especially, is because, you know, Harry came from an abusive childhood home that never gave him any presents, and suddenly he's has this whole found family of, like, the Weasleys and his friends and his new home, per se, with Hogwarts. So that is what makes his, this and first Christmas amazing. special for him. Great, it's now amazing I'm when you think about the fact that he and Ron only knew each other for, like, a handful of months, and Ron, like, you know, wrote to his mom and, like, got him presents. And, like, Ron, who comes from, like, a fairly, like, impoverished, like you know, societal situation, and he's like, Working class. you're my new friend, and you have no presents, and, like, you deserve presents, and it's just, it makes me feel so warm and fuzzy. Yeah, like... I it, love Ron Weasley. Like, what, what's that letter? What was that letter like, like, that Ron wrote to his parents? Like, listen to... To get him a sweater. This, the kid who lived doesn't have things. He needs a sweater. <laughs> Mom, get to work. <laughs> I feel like that's exactly how the letter went. Yeah. Alright, Willoughby, yes. what is your first choice? Uh, the Fellowship of the Ring. Mm. Uh, the Peter Jackson one, not the seventies one, um, because <laughs> uh, I when that movie came out, I think it came out. The movies came out during Christmas or like the win- the winter season. I remember watching those movies in theaters during December. So like I immediately associate all three movies with um, the, like Christmas and stuff because it came out. But then when they came on home video, I remember watching those movies a lot on snow days. Or like during like December and January, so like I've o- I've always associated the Lord of the Rings films with and Fellowship of the Ring in particular because it's the most joyful of the three movies um, with Christmas and like staying home, walk, getting some hot chocolate, curling up in a blanket on the couch and watching a three-hour movie while I don't have to go to school. So like I've always really liked and I think also just like the Shire and like the sense of like family and happiness and then like the Rivendell scenes and like I know there's a lot of the Fellowship of the Ring that reminds me of like Christmas I don't remember if they talk about Christmas in this those movies at all I don't think they do no. but Christmas is a thing that exists not a thing that exists at all but for some reason I just associate it with the winter season mm. so and I always enjoy it and, and like getting watching marathons on snow days and stuff so yeah. like the Lord of the Rings and that are in particularly Fellowship of the Ring okay that's a good one. I do need to say that today is actually the 16th anniversary of Fellowship of the Ring. Wow, it can drive! It, it had its, um, it came out here uh, on the 19th, but it had its like world premiere on December 10th, 2001. And so I just wanted to give a shout out to that, and I totally agree, Willoughby. I love getting whisked off to like Middle Earth when it's this time of year. Yeah. Like, you know, like, it's not a Christmas movie. They're not Christmas movies, but it's, like, similar to Anya's <coughs> Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. It reminds, it's, you know, I think it's the fantasy elements of it. All. I was going to say, I think fantasy and, like, the winter season goes hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Like, when you're, like, at home bundled up, you can't really go outside, and so you, like, travel to new places via fantasy movies. This is all sounding very cheesy, but this is how I feel about Christmas. It's a cheesy episode of the Millennial Falcon, because we're talking about Christmas and we're talking about movies that are fantastical yes exactly we're, we're gonna get whimsical here folks buckle so, up my my choice is less on the fantasy side but definitely on the whimsical side uh, my choice is little woman uh which is the 90s movie starring winona Ryder and christian vale back in their peak 
curtained hair days. <laughs> he was so yes. cute. Christian, yes. I'm like getting emotional. Christian Bale is the cutest as Lori. And Winona Ryder was, you know, it was peak Winona Ryder time. So it's always peak absolutely. Winona Ryder time. It always is. I'm very happy for a comeback. But Little Woman is another wintry sort of um, coming-of-age film uh, that was one of my favorite books growing up, Louisa May Alcott's book. It's set during the Civil War and uh, is follows these four sisters and their mother as they try to, um, you know, live and grow up and raise themselves as their father is off to war. So it's um, it's a little romantic, definitely a lot romantic, actually. A lot romantic a lot in lot the romantic. best way. Yeah, and it has just like, it has some very harrowing moments that have to deal with loss and grief, but it mostly has to deal with how family can bring you all together and um childhood friends as well so it's just it's a wonderful book uh joe is a great feminist character ahead of her time and um i am coming around a little bit more to her choice uh with the professor <gasps> and coming around yeah, you so, mean because she belongs with him I'm and still, they're okay, perfect sorry, together lori is really lori and her were so cute they and would not i have hated made a good romantic i'm marriage. sure they would not have made a good romantic marriage but i think that lori and amy is still a very weird pairing to me <laughs> I like Lori and Joe's friends. I also want to give a shout out to like hot Gabriel Byrne as a professor in Little Women. So like, Very good true. job, Winona Ryder. <laughs> she, I, I wouldn't say she, she went picked up. She married up, but she, she didn't do bad. She didn't do bad. <laughs> so a great film, a lot of A-list stars, and despite being so star-studded, it still feels homey and magical. Yeah. Did I ever tell you the story with Little Women HT? Mm-mm. With, like, me? So it's my mom's favorite book. And oh. growing up, she kept trying to get me to read it. Mm-hmm. And, like, I didn't want to. Because I was like, this sounds silly and blah, blah, blah. Um, and she was like, but you're just like Joe. Like, she would call me her little Joe. Oh. Um, and finally in college, I just decided to pick it up and read it. Uh-huh. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to do it. And I read it and I fell in love. And I was like, all right, mom, like, you got me. You were right. Yeah, my my copy of Little Woman is all torn and worn at the edges because I read it so many times when I was growing up. As like, I I read it mostly in like elementary school, middle school, but it was one of my mom's favorite books too. She she always she gave me only the classics that she loved as a kid. She would just leave them in my bookshelf, and I would immediately read them. (laughs) No like, no prompt needed, which was really nice because she was just like, here you can read them if you want, and I did. So the only one I couldn't get through was Les Mis. I'm sorry. It's really hard. It's a it's a long book. It's a very dense tome. Yes. All right, Anya, what is your next pick? So I'm going to actually um, take your cue, HT, and do a similar route. Um, I also associate period pieces with this time of year. I think, again, it's just like I don't want anything, like, realistic around this time of year. So anything, like, historical and just lovely or fantastical, that's kind of what I gravitate towards, too, in Christmas. Um, so my next pick is the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. Mm, good one. And that is because the first time I ever watched it was during winter break in high school, I think maybe sophomore year. And I remember I was lying in my bed and it was um, one of those rare overcast rainy days for Southern California. And I watched it for the first time and I just fell completely in love. It just won my heart over instantly. 
Um, we watched it the other night, actually, um, in our house, me and my roommate. <sighs> and it's just one of those movies that, like, I know it so well, and I've seen it so many times, and it just always is a huge comfort to me. And it's funny, because Pride and Prejudice is not one of my favorite Jane Austen books. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it, but I like others of hers more. Um, but that movie, there's just something really special about it. Yeah, that movie was my introduction to Jane Austen. I never read any of her books, um, but I did read a huge amount after watching the 2005 version. I know a lot of Austenites really dislike that version. I can't, I don't know why. I can't really understand it. It's such a beautiful, um, wonderful, like lovely film, especially the way it's shot and like it really appreciates nature and everything. I don't know. I love it. And, like, it's the first movie that gave me that sort of butterfly feeling in my stomach. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Mm -hmm. So, great pick, Anya. Thanks. Willby, what is your next pick? Shane Black's Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. (laughs) Uh, Shane Black likes to set a lot of his movies at Christmas time. In fact, I think all of them are at Christmas time at some point in the movie, including Iron Man 3. Um, And, I don't know, because it's the most of his movies besides Lethal Weapon that have, like, a like Christmas element to it. Like, it's, like, like Christmas incorporated into, like, the dialogue and stuff um, instead of being, like, just background. But for the most part, it's not about Christmas. Um, but it's just a, uh, a great, like, fun noir with Robert Downey Jr. and Val Kilmer, of all people, like, together. And it's just a lot of fun and great action and dialogue and humor and uh, it was like part of Robert Downey Jr.'s comeback, like right before Iron Man. So like, there's him like before he made it big. So like, he's still kind of like doesn't think he's all that in a bag of chips. <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's kind of like uh, like a lot of Shane Black characters. Like the main character is kind of a, a goofus mm-hmm. and like not the not the best person and like kind of like stumbles and fumbles around. Um, and that's what and he 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 turned that into Tony Stark for Iron Man 3, which is great. Like, uh, I mean, he made all his other friends, like, the cool hot shots, which mm-hmm. is great. Um, so, like, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang just has, like, a close place in my heart for being, like, a weird non-Christmas Christmas movie. Yeah. I love that movie. That was one of my favorite movies for a while, Kiss mm-hmm. Kiss Bang Bang. It's just so funny and whip-smart. Unexpected. And unexpected. It's yeah, very crude, so but, and, like, I mean, you could argue that it's not great towards women, but it's also just, like, very tongue-in-cheek and kind of, like, winking at that knowledge because it's not supposed to be it's kind of cartoonish in mm-hmm. a way it's like sat- satirizing pulp novels but also leaning into the, yeah. the stereotypes of the pulp, mo- pulp novels it's ripping off of yeah exactly and i love me a good noir so it's perfect that combination of uh the weird sort of whimsical family elements of christmas with this crude underbelly of los angeles so it's a good it's a combination you wouldn't think would work, but it works so well. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, my next choice is kind of a follow-up to that. Uh, Iron Man 3. Yeah! <laughs> Which is a movie that we all adamantly defend on this In this, this house, we yes. love and respect Iron Man 3. Exactly. Yes, we do. It's a perfect kind of thematic sequel to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And um, it's a great end to Tony Stark's arc. As yeah. you say, like that was that began in the first film, in the first Iron Man film, and um, I really like the the use of Christmas there because it's a lot more subdued than you'd expect. He kind of just uh, crash lands into a mid midwestern town somewhere, and he's like, "Oh, it's Christmas," 
And that gives it a sort of nostalgic, sad feeling because he's like, at this point, Tony Stark has been um, has isolated himself, and he's kind of all alone, and he's dealing with like the sort of family holiday without having like his own family. Right, like he gave Pepper that giant bunny. Yeah, that was like way oversized, yeah. and that was his idea of Christmas at the time. Exactly. So he had lost himself, and in like finding himself in this random town, and fi- and like befriending this little boy who uh, became who showed up again in uh, Shane Black's. Um, no, the, 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 nice the nice guys. guys, yeah, the nice guys. As like the kid, in he the was he was great. I love that kid. So pe- people will hate on him because he's just so like precocious. But I think he was great and really good at what he was supposed to do, which was just kind of urge and egg Tony on. And they had a good good rapport going too. Yeah. So the I, son he totally never had, agree. and then he and then eventually he got a, another son in Peter Parker. Exactly. <laughs> it was a test run to see it's if like he a could be a dad. Peter Parker <laughs> prototype. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it was. Um, it's a great film, and uh, I will defend it despite everyone's hatred towards it because of the twist, which I thought was really clever. It's clever and also takes away the weird racial implications. Yeah, yes, mm-hmm. I think it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's a funny, brilliant twist. I don't understand people's ups- uh, like fixation on it. I don't think it made the movie it's worse. A, it's a weird comic book change in which they fixed the racial problems, mm-hmm. and people got mad. Yeah, I don't know why people got mad because you know these because Marvel movies fanboys yeah. are like it's not the original. Yeah, they were hoping for some badass you know villain, and instead they got a classic Marvel twist. Really, Marvel never takes itself seriously. No, so I don't understand. It was just it was less serious than I think the, the movies that had come before. Mm-hmm. Like I think it was Avengers, Dark World. Mm-hmm. You know, Dark World came after it, but like it was around that time where Marvel movies were getting more serious. Yeah, and stakes were getting higher. Stakes were getting higher, so like people were like, "Why is this like a comedy?" Yeah, and I was like, "We need a comedy right exactly. now." Like, yeah, it was, perfect. it was great. I also, I will also defend Tony's decision to get rid of the arc reactor. Of course, the yeah. film every time. Yeah, hell I mean, yeah! If I had, a, a, oh, the ability I know a lot of people it? who hate that. Really? I, why? Because it yeah, took away like his like, like the way the fact that he like doesn't have like a real heart. Right, but I'm like the whole point is like first off. If he has a chance to get rid of this thing that's like killing his heart and like live, like he should take that just from a medical standpoint. Yeah. But also, this is the whole idea of like he is Iron Man. It's not that like like he can still be Iron Man without the arc reactor. That's like, the point he of is the movie. Iron- exactly. Is that he- and people hate that. And I'm just like, what? All right. Yeah. Yeah. I, Iron I, Man three. <laughs> I might go home and watch Iron yeah. Man three after this because yeah. that movie doesn't get enough love. Kick off. Kick off our Christmas season with Iron Man three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is better than uh, kicking it off with Die Hard. No, yeah. I don't know. Do people defend Die Hard? <laughs> I haven't seen it. Iron Man three. Sometimes and I feel like I Bang Bang double feature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ooh yes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like I should watch Die Hard just because like. So I can get what people are talking about, and also so I can understand Jake Peralta on a deeper yeah, level. Yeah, it would it would unlock a lot of Brooklyn Nine Nine for me. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're all <laughs> we're, we're all collectively man. Amy Santiago going through like watching Die Hard. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. Yeah. All right, uh, Anya, do you have a next choice? I do. Um, so I think Disney is a good one to watch around this time of year, just in general. Just being Disney. Um, but my favorite to watch is 101 Dalmatians. Oh, you took mine. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. We can, we can share it. That's okay. Um, it's one of my all-time favorite Disney movies, like top five at least. Um, it get a bit disney on you. Um, Disney's Nine Old Men, um, his animators back in the classic days. My favorite is Milt Call. Um, and he did a lot of animation... <laughs> 
<laughs> they're like giving me this look. We're like, I have no idea who you're talking about. Yeah, Anya, you're you're speaking in a foreign language here. Okay, so do you guys know Disney's Nine Old Men? No, no. I thought that was oh. a term that you made up. No, okay, this is like Anya. I know Waltz and Mickey. Okay, so back in the <laughs> early days of Disney Studios, um, there were these nine like animators who were kind of like the top tier animators, and they became known as Disney's Nine Old Men because they were kind of like. Were they the big hotshots, like the Glen Keens mm. of their days. Um, and, you know, they worked on, like, every movie, and they were around for decades and decades, and they were there from the beginning, and, you know, they were just, like, this group. Um, some of the famous ones are, like, Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston, um, who were two probably of the well most well-known of the Nine Old Men. Um, but my favorite is Milt Call. Um, I love his animation style. He's done characters like he did Shere Khan in The Jungle Book. Um, but he also did Pongo and Roger in 101 Dalmatians. Um, and so I love seeing his animation on display in that movie. I also love dogs. Um, I think the animation in that movie in general is gorgeous and it's wintry and it's dogs, you know, like saving each other and getting home through the winter. And it just makes me real happy. And I'm really glad to impart this Disney knowledge upon you guys. Yeah. So I'm learning something new every day. Yeah, they, so what do you like about 101 Dalmatians, Willoughby? A lot of the same things you said, not to the specific animators, but, like, <laughs> the idea of winter and, like, family and the whole, like, idea of, like, sticking together and, like, trying, you know, and also defeating an evil villain. That's always a fun Christmas thing. Um, but just the whole, the whole, the whole movie is so good and pure and... I haven't seen it in well over 15 years, but I still remember, like, the little fat one that would, like, always eat all the food. And I'm like, oh, that's yep. me. <laughs> and he's the one who, like, gets... I think he's the one who gets cold in the winter. Yeah. Or is, it, is that Lucky? Uh, it might have been Lucky. I it's can't remember, but yeah. While. But yeah, but yeah no, so good. And I think also uh, the, uh, the, um, the live-action first one is also, like, a Christmas movie. So good. Um, like, it, I think, I want to say there's actual Christmas in the movie. I can't remember. But I just remember it being, like, a, like, like the type of movie you would watch at Christmas. Yeah, um, and that movie's, like, Glenn Close is so good. Is Jeff Daniels the dude? Yeah, Jeff Daniels is Roger. Oh, and then okay, also Hugh Laurie and, um, I forget the actor's name, but Arthur Weasley. Uh, that dude, yeah. Are they Are, the bad guys? Uh, they're, yeah, they're the henchmen. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie in forever, but I think I think they're both on HBO Go. Yeah. Yeah. And let's be real, Roger and Anita are one of the best Disney couples. Like I know we all talk about like princesses and princes, but like Roger and Anita, they are like gold. Mm-hmm. They have and, really cute meet cute. And and the dogs yeah. too. Mm-hmm. What's yeah, the, oh, Pongo what? and Ferdy. Yes, Pongo and Ferdy. <laughs> the best. Also, Pongo. What kind of name is Pongo? It's a dog name, Willoughby. Yeah, but it's Don't give him crap. (laughs) Let him have his dog name. Yeah. I mean, I'm not... They're not told to the high standards of (laughs) Willoughby Barrett Dobbs IV. Yeah, I get it. Don't worry, people think I named my dog after, like, a cleaner. Because my dog's name is... Ajax? My, yeah, my dog's name is Ajax, and they're like, oh, like the cleaner, and I'm like, no, like, the Greek hero. Uh, But, like, the what? Like, the Greek hero. Oh. In the Iliad? Oh. oh, I never read the Iliad. I only read the, the sequel. Oh, sorry, I read the This is the my nerd coming. I, I'm just showing how nerdy I am this episode. Anya, you're a nerd. What? I what? Knew that. Or, 
Am I a nerd? <gasps> What's a nerd? What? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Willoughby, what is your next yes. pick? Oh, my next pick. Well, it was going to be 101 Dalmatians, mm-hmm. Anya. Sorry. You can talk about it a little more if you don't have another pick. No, uh, I do have another pick, so HT, you go. For, you go. Okay. So my favorite is uh, A Little Princess, directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Uh, and it is a movie that, without any doubt, always makes me cry. as Every time. Yes, as it does for you, Anya. <laughs> it is such a good movie. It's less of the whimsical, happy films that we usually, we've been talking about for Christmas. But it's something that I really associate with the holiday because of the wintry, like kind of little match girl sort of aesthetics and, and similar storyline. And just... Um, the idea of uh, creating your own happiness and uh, out of like friendship or like little small things and making your own, building your own kingdom out of the scraps that you get. It's a wonderful film and it's really beautiful and I cry a little, I'm just going to talk about how I cry so much watching it. Um, but uh, it's, it's so gorgeous. Definitely one of my favorite Quran movies. Actually, it probably is my favorite Quran movie. I'm sorry. It's, it's a good one. It's Mama Tambien. <laughs> The wildly different movies. Yes. That's for sure. Yes. Um, but it's a movie I grew up watching and uh, has made a huge impact on me as a kid. And I watch it not every Christmas because otherwise I would be a, a, a wreck afterwards. But um, it's something that kind of give, gives me cold comfort. You know, sometimes you just want to have a good cry and appreciate the things that you have. And that's what A Little Princess does for me. Nice. All right, Willoughby, what was your other choice? Toy Story. The uh, Pixar classic. Have you guys heard of Toy Story? I think I have. I have, like... Yeah, it sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, along with there being a little Christmas thing at the end, uh, I also associate it with just, like, family and coming together and, you know, watching a movie and just growing up. And toys, particularly. You know, like, getting toys. Like, that's always, like, a big thing at Christmas. Like, sure love and family and Jesus and all that, but getting toys on Christmas Day is always a joy. And I, in fact, I got Toy Story and I got uh, Buzz and Woody for Christmas. So that was like, I I deeply associate Toy Story with Christmas just because of that. Um, And just the whole idea of like the, the toys coming together to like save themselves and get back to Andy and all that. So Toy Story. It's a great choice. Yeah. That is a good choice. All right. I think um, that is it for our choices, unless you guys have any honorable mentions. Well, just the whole Shane Black filmography. Yeah. Because he always sets his movies at Christmas, even the nice guys, which Mm -hmm. is the most, like, Christmas is is the least part at the very end of that movie, but, like, it's Christmas. You know. Yeah, that's very true. So I think we should encourage everyone, watch your Christmas favorites, your Christmas classics, your elves. I love Actuallys, your diehards. The I White guess. Christmases. The yes. Movie. No. Uh, I was like, uh, the White, the, the movie White Christmas. <laughs> I should specify here. Um, you know, but there are also some other good movies that can get you into the Christmas spirit, even if they're not directly about Christmas. Mm-hmm. And let us know what your favorites are. But before you do, we're going to move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Right. Um, Anya, why don't you start us off again? What is your really like for this week? 
Alright, so I have a really like, but I first want to give a shout-out. It's not going to be two really likes. I just want to give a shout-out to shout Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Okay. Alright. I just, this means a lot to me. I just want to give a shout-out to Brooklyn Nine-Nine for their handling of Rosa in <clears throat> this last week's episode. She came out as bisexual, and she actually said that, and it just not, means a lot to me. Not the whole, me. like, I don't like labels bullshit. Yeah, she was just like, I'm bi. It was great. It's something that I rarely get to see in media. And so I just want <clears throat> to give a shout out to the team because that's really important. Nine, nine. And thank you. Nine, nine. Um, so my actual really like is something that I actually experienced this week. This week. Um, on Thursday, I saw the musical Something Rotten. Mm. And it was so much fun. So let me give you some backstory. <laughs> something Rotten is set during Elizabethan times in England. Uh, Shakespeare is a character in the musical, and he is the biggest playwright like ever. He's basically a rock star. He literally acts like a rock star. People act like a rock star around him. There's a scene where he like gives like a concert in the park and like sings his sonnets, and everyone's shouting with him. It's really funny. Um, and there are these two brothers who are playwrights, and they're like, one of them is kind of angry at Shakespeare because he's really famous, and like they can never get famous. Um, and so to try and basically surpass Shakespeare and become famous playwrights, they more or less invent the musical, <laughs> which people had never heard of. They were like, wait, they're talking, and then they just break into song? Like, that makes no sense. Um, and it's funny, because it's really meta, because they're talking about that as they're breaking into song. <laughs> um, so it's very funny, um, very... Uh, entertaining. It's very much a musical made for theater kids because you have both Shakespeare references and you have a lot of musical theater references. Um, very meta. So it's for people who like theater. Like this is a perfect show for them. It's really funny and really entertaining. I have had multiple songs stuck in my head since Thursday. Like I cannot stop humming them to myself, which is a good sign. Um, and so you guys know I love theater. I've talked about it quite a bit on this podcast. I now have a little shot glass collection of all the shows I go to. That's, that's what I, that's my little like trinket from every show I go to. I'm starting to like amass a collection. Um, and so I'm just really, I just love theater as you guys know. And something rotten is fantastic. I'm also a big Shakespeare nerd. Um, is he, a, is he a Shakespeare who fucks like uh, will? That TNT uh, absolute, movie or TNT absolutely, show? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. The musical also talks mostly about Hamlet, um, which is one of my favorite Shakespeare plays. That I makes think sense. Hamlet something wrong. Brilliant. It's like a thing from Hamlet, right? Yes, exactly. Something wrong in the state of Denmark. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I just love Hamlet too. So I just really love Shakespeare. I have a lot of feelings. And one last thing. Sorry, I just. <laughs> I also really love Christopher Marlowe, who was Shakespeare's contemporary um, before he was killed in a bar fight. Um, as it happens the, the tender age of he was in his 30s um, and I just get really sad when I think about this because if he hadn't been killed he probably would have been one of our greatest playwrights in the whole world and this musical could have easily just as been about him as it was about Shakespeare and Ooh, so I think about that sometimes and I make myself sad because I really love Christopher Marlowe I mean he did create so, Faustus so that's he did a create Faustus. classic that's still read in English classes today so that's true yeah. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, theater, Shakespeare, cheers to you. Huzzah! <laughs> Excelsior! <laughs> All right, Willoughby, what is your really like for this week? So there's a new movie coming out by a little indie director named Ryan Johnson. What? Called uh, The Last Jedi. Uh, 
I've never heard of it. Me no. either. What? I, it's, I heard it's supposed to be good. Um, okay. But I watched right. Predecessor, The Force Awakens again yeah. for the umpteenth time because I really like that movie. And I'm here to say it still holds up after two years. You know, like a lot of people, there's a weird backlash to The Force Awakens. Uh, Even though it's great. Even though it's great. People are like, it's just a new hope, but with new characters. And I'm like, it's not. Ugh. That's what the goddamn hero's journey is. It's the same thing. And there, there is benefits to a literary trope called parallelism. Yeah. Like, yes. Having parallel structures is not a bad thing. That's what inherently. George Lucas based his entire goddamn saga off of: is doing parallels. Yep. So. That being said, <laughs> the movie is still great. And I showed my girlfriend for it for the first time because we're going to go see The Last Jedi. So She'd never she, seen The Force Awakens? She hadn't seen The Force Awakens. So this I was like, so exciting. I get to show her to her. Did um, she like it? She loved it. Yeah, she did thought it was great. Did you watch her the whole time as she watched it? Because that's what I did. Yeah. Well, I was <laughs> getting engrossed in the movie and also seeing her reactions. So it was great. She liked uh, She liked Ray. Um, she thought Kylo Ron was a big fuckboy. Um, <laughs> Kylo Ron. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... Uh, liked phasma phasma she she really liked phasma so um and poe and finn and the whole ot3 of ray and bb8 was bb8 was is our new is our new family pet essentially um so yeah the first awakens is still great and i don't know you know i don't know what people are talking about with the backlash it's still it still holds up they're just being contrarian yeah and i hate that Mm -hmm. don't be contrarian if you don't have to if your opinions are bad just keep them to yourself (laughs) Keep that hot take back in the pan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So my really like for this week yeah. is a movie I saw by one of my favorite directors, Guillermo del Toro. Yes. The Shape of Water. I saw it too. I love it. So I'm going to see it again this afternoon, actually, because I loved it that much. Wow. It is probably, it doesn't quite beat Pan's Labyrinth from a favorite Del Toro movie, but it is one of my favorites. And it is just a beautiful concoction of a, of a monster horror movie with a classic Hollywood romance and a tale about um, a, well, an allegory about outsider oppression and minority oppression in the, the si- 60s. 60s, in the 60s, as well as Cold War tensions. And it's just it's a beautiful amalgamation of all those things, and it's done so wonderfully, and with great subtext and intertextual um, sort of storytelling. It, it's, and you know, it's, I, <laughs> I, I love it so much that I'm like at a loss for words. It happens to me sometimes. Um, it I mean, is wonderful, whimsical, and weird. Sally Hawkins is amazing as the mute lab worker who uh, stumbles upon the fish creature, fish man, who is uh, kept in a secret government facility against his will, and that is the the fish creature played by Doug Jones, a frequent Del Toro collaborator, and uh, he shines in this movie. You he can, played Abe Sapien in Hellboy, he played, so he's already used to playing Fishman. Yes, exactly. You could say this might be an Abe Sapien spinoff or a prequel, who knows, um, <laughs> but uh, he has, you know, he's appeared as Pan in Pan's Labyrinth, the the blind man uh he was you know he's been playing like creature feature movies for a he long time he was the time. mother in crimson peak yep he was the mother in crimson peak was he yeah oh yep. and the woman in the bathtub too oh creepy yeah. yeah the only i think the only del toro movie he's never been in was pacific rim yeah yeah mm-hmm. i don't think I they saw didn't him. really need him for that no no um but he was also the gentleman in hush too in buffy the vampire slayer <gasps> no shit mm-hmm. what? and of course i mean the most important 
Billy Butcherson in Hocus Pocus. He was Billy Butcherson in, in Hocus Pocus. The zombie. I've never seen Hocus Pocus. What? Yeah, we went through our whole Halloween episode and I was silent during your Hocus Pocus talk. I, oh my. Hold on. Oh my. How can you Wait. call yourself a millennial, Willoughby? <clears throat> I know this is our Christmas episode, but oh my god. Hocus Pocus <laughs> is literally a perfect film. Yeah, what? I, I just never gotten around to seeing it. Willoughby. Alright. <clears throat> HT, I'm relying on you. To show him Hocus Pocus yeah. sometime be- in the near future. I can't future. believe this. Willoughby. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm in shock. Wait, this is like, I, yeah, I need, like, a moment. <laughs> if you notice that, like, dead air, that was because I just, like, yeah, my mouth were- dropped open. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Anyways. I'm surprised you didn't know this. I've known you for seven years. I didn't. I didn't. I had no idea. How did I not know this and make you watch it in college? Yeah, I don't know. I know, really. They had Hocus Pocus, you know, showings on AU's campus, but I never went around to one. I don't know. Okay, I'm just like, I'm a little bit like... Oh, I'm sorry to like completely (laughs) halt the podcast I'm kind of shaken right now. I I I have to go back to my shape of water a little bit. Yeah, yeah, go back to talking about Doug Jones as a fish man. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And this is a movie (laughs) that was very obviously made to showcase Doug Jones' talent as a sort of uh, creature feature actor. He's kind of like the equivalent to anti-circus, but on the rubber mask side of things. So Doug Jones doesn't say a word throughout the entire movie, but he just emanates this like masculinity and and sensuality. <laughs> what I what I like about The Shape of Water is mm. that you have Sally Hawkins who doesn't who can't speak, and mm. then you have Doug Jones who can't speak, mm. and yet everything they do is so crystal clear. Mm-hmm. Like nothing is like what are they doing? Like I don't understand yeah. what's happening. It's so clearly like Guillermo del Toro's direction and their acting is just it's so in 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 line that you never miss a beat yeah. of what's happening like you're never like what are they doing yeah it's, a, it's within the context of the sort of classic hollywood homage they do throughout the film it's very similar to like the silent films that you see the monster features that you see from like black and white classic hollywood as well so it's it's just a wonderful love story and fairy tale i'm, I'm a huge fan of fables so like mm-hmm. bringing that fable into this cold war context was a really interesting and really fun moment for me it's so, such a del toro thing it's such a del toro thing and he and because like i i read in an interview that he would he when he saw the creature from the black lagoon he mm-hmm. used to like draw like fan art of the creature from the black lagoon like like with the main girl like yeah. like having a romance together so like the fact that he just like took that and was like i'm gonna make that a real movie i love it his, his the way his homage his all his films have homages to, to the past mm-hmm. of of other types of hollywood genres or other literary genres like in crimson peak like that was an homage to all the gothic horror gothic romance mm-hmm. movies and pacific rim was an homage to the kaiju movies yeah and you know he brings this all to the shape of water yeah it's like just his love of cinema yeah and his love of you can genre i don't think there's a director who quite loves his craft like guillermo del toro does like you can just tell he loves movies and it shows in every one of his films it shows so much in shape of water where just like bursting at the seams with this unfiltered love for movie making for fairy tales for stories and that's what i love about shape of water i can't wait to see it again and just like uh, cry about how much I love it. <laughs> um, so yeah. it's it's a great film. I highly recommend it. It is a little bit strange. It gets very kinky. So be prepared for some scenes of bestiality. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> 
Uh, well, HD, I have to say that's been one of my most anticipated films of the year. I'm seeing it Tuesday, and I am more excited than ever yay! now to see it. All right. Well, that is our episode. If you guys want to share your favorite non-Christmas Christmas movies with us, or chat with us about The Force Awakens, Shape of Water, Something Rotten, or Rosa coming out on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, definitely come do that. And where can they come find us, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. You can listen to us on SoundCloud, and you can rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play. So please do that. And one more time, a couple more times, please send us your voice memos of what you really like in 2017. We're really getting down to the almost 100th episode of of our podcast our 100th episode will be coming out in just a, a few short weeks so please send us a 30, 30 second voice memo of what you really liked in pop culture in 2017 and uh send it to millennial falcon millennial falcon podcast at gmail.com or connect with one of us online and, and if you if you have other ways of getting us your audio but we would love to hear from you yeah our 100th episode will be air on december 31st to be exact, because we're taking a week off for Christmas, but other than that, we're two episodes away from our 100th episode, guys. 100 episodes! Oh my gosh! Very exciting. Wild. Yeah, right? So, uh, where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at hchanbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. Alright, thanks for joining us, guys. Bye! Bye! Bye!